Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Good evening, this is Orson Welles. Tonight, the English star, Mr. Laurence Olivier, fresh from Hollywood where he's been making Wuthering Heights and just over from the Ethel Barrymore Theater where he's been rehearsing with Catherine Cornell in Guthrie McClintock's new production, No Time for Comedy, joins us at Campbell Playhouse as John Jest in Beau Jest. With him is your favorite villain, Mr. Noah Beery, who will bedevil Mr. Olivier and me in the bloodthirsty person of his original Sergeant Lejeune which Noah Beery made famous in the silent picture version of P.C. Wren's celebrated romance about the Foreign Legion. Thirty minutes rest. And prepare to advance in open order to relieve Fort Internet. Yes, sir. Dismount. Adjutant. Yes, sir. Adjutant, you have seen war in the desert. Does anything here strike you as strange? No, sir. If you want to know the truth. Yes. I don't like it, sir. There's something about that fort. Seems strange not to hear a sound out of them. Think they'd be cheering the relief force. They may not have seen us. The sun is behind us. Come there. Yes, sir. Sound the regimental call. Yes, sir. No answer. Do you think it's an Arab trap? I don't think so, sir. That's not the way the Arabs work. Courage and cruelty I've seen in them, but nothing like this. Excellent. Let me have your glasses. Here you are, sir. You see anything, sir? Yeah. Flags flying. Military places along the wall. Rifles level. That's strange, sir. Not an Arab in sight? Yes. When the bugle sounded, not one of them moved. Did you notice that? How about the lookout platform, sir? Show me that. Yes, sir. Once more, the call. Sir, Adjutant, you take a look. Thank you, sir. See that man at the corner of the wall over on the right? Yes, sir. He has got a bullet hole in the middle of his forehead. He has, sir. The trickle of blood down his face. Still he stands there, propped up against the wall with the others, staring down the muzzle of his rifle. Those men are dead. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask for a volunteer to ride alone into Fort Zinnina. Step forward. It's a hard thing to ask, Major. A fort full of dead men. Any volunteers? Major, just stop it, sir. I'll get that. Good. Get in as best you can. Once you are in, sound the call. Yes, sir. Brave man. Have you a watch with you? Yes, Major. Is that all? That is all. If I haven't heard from you within 15 minutes, I will order a charge. Yes, sir. And good luck. Thank you, sir. That was the last time they heard him speak. 
They saw him ride towards the fort, picking his way among the dead Arabs. They saw him stop under the wall of Fort Zindanev. They saw him look up at the dead faces of the men on the wall. They saw him climb up on his horse's saddle and hoist himself up. Then he disappeared. A little before the 15 minutes were over, they saw a small dark cloud in the blue sky over the fort. At first it seemed like dust. As it grew heavier and started to swirl, they saw that it was smoke. Just before the fort burst into flames, they thought they heard the sound of a bugle playing a strange call. That man, the trumpeter, was my brother. There were three of us, and I am the only one alive. My name is John Jest. Here is our story. It begins in England at Brandon Abbas in Herefordshire. Here we were brought up by our aunt, Lady Brandon, her dead sister's three boys, Michael, Digby, John, and her own daughter, a little girl called Isabel. Michael was the captain, our hero and leader, Lady Brandon's favorite nephew. As a child, because of his looks, she called him Beau. Beau Jet. And the name stayed with him. Digby was the lieutenant. He was Beau's twin, smaller and a quarter of an hour younger. I was a year younger. Their mascot and their obedient slave. There was a game we used to play in the lily pond at Brandon Abbott. It was called Naval Engagement. It was played with two toy boats, each crowded with lead soldiers and bearing three brass cannons. Loaded with buckshot. Is your ship ready, Lieutenant? Ready, Captain. Light the fuses. Ready? Go. Hey, only one of my guns are firing. Must be improper fusing. No battle. Fetch him in, John. Aye, aye, Captain. You better touch your trousers up, John. Mind you don't lose any men overboard. I got them. Oh! What happened? I'm shot. Stop making faces and come here. Ooh. Be quiet, Isabel. Don't look at it. Let me see, John. Is the bullet inside his leg? How does it feel, John? Just like being shot. I'm going to be sick. What are you going to do with your knife, though? Going to cauterize the wound, Captain, and prevent it turning septic? No. Naval surgery without anesthetics. Cut out the cannonball. First, I have to sterilize the knife. Now, John, will you be gagged or chew on a bullet? I don't want to be disturbed by your beastly yells. I shan't yell, Captain. Uh, sit on his head, Digby. No. Hold his hoof, then. <gasps> Isabel, hide your eyes and keep still. Almost. Hold him still, Digby. Here it comes. Yeah. How do you feel now, John? I feel all right. I'm going to confer a new name on you for bravery. Stand up, Digby, and salute. John Jess, because you didn't cry when wounded in battle and didn't yell during a major operation of naval surgery without anesthetics, I now give you the rank and title for the rest of your life of Stout Cellar. Oh, thank you, Captain. I say, Captain, do you think we could manage a Viking's funeral? Right you are, Lieutenant. Stout fella, you have also earned high honor of a full-dress Viking's funeral. We can use my boat and one of my soldiers. But John, you may choose the one you want to be. I'd like to be one of the new blue ones, if it's all right, Captain. Uh, hand me one, Dig. I now solemnly name this valorous soldier the Viking Earl, John Jess. Now, put him on a matchbox filled with explosives, Dig. Use it here, Don. Stand up, everyone else. Hats off. Ready, Digby? Lighter. Now, shove her way out. There she goes. I can still see the Viking in the center. That's what I call a funeral. I'd give something to have one like that when my turn comes. What's more, I'll write it down in my will. 
None of you dirty little dogs will get anything from me unless you see it properly done. I'll give you one, Bo, whenever you like. So will I, you dig, if you die first. Shake on it. Shake. Throw your bugle, Digby. Most of the other great moments of my childhood were connected with a fabulous and historic jewel owned by Lady Brandon, the Blue Water Sapphire. It had been in the family for several generations. Often people came to see the sapphire, princes, diplomats, jewel merchants from every corner of the globe. I remember the last time I saw it. We were home for the Christmas holiday. I was 18 then. Bo and Digby were at Oxford and I was in my last year at school. On Christmas Eve, we persuaded Lady Brandon to get out the Blue Water for us to look at just the family, Bo, Digby, myself, and Isabel. Well, there it is, children. Golly. Beauty, isn't she? Remember the Indian Maharaja who fainted dead away when he saw it? And it took 20 minutes to revive him. <laughs> no wonder. It still makes me dizzy. I thought we'd never get rid of him. He kept coming back to see it again. Three or four times, wasn't it, Aunt? Never mind the Maharaja. Look at the blue water. Seems to get bigger and bigger. Yes. Makes you want to dive into it head first. And just disappear inside it. I say, what's happened? What's happened to the lights? Now, don't wonder about anybody. Knock things over. The lights will go on again in a minute. They always do. It's something to do with the new power station. But, Aunt, this is the third time it's happened this week. Why doesn't somebody get a candle? It's pitch black. Oh, there. I hope they stay on. Auntie, look. Look. It's gone. Whoever did this, please put it there. It's not funny. You suppose it fell on the floor? It was under the glass cover. Whoever took the blue water, please put it back at once. John? Well, why do you accuse me? You were nearest the day. Oh, John, nobody accused you. Put the beastly thing back. Me? I didn't take it. Oh, why don't you put it back? Whoever did take it. Let's not keep on pretending. We shall all go today, now. This room will be locked. But the key to it will be left in the little brass box in the hall. Only you four will know where it is. The thief will have a chance during the night to replace the sapphire without revealing his identity. If the blue water is not here in the morning, the police will be called in. No one will be spared, no matter who it is. The next morning, we found the jewel had not been returned. Only Digby and Isabel and myself were at breakfast. Bo didn't appear. Lady Brandon sent down word that no one was to leave the house. She hadn't sent for the police yet, but we expected she would any minute. It was a strange morning, wandering about the house, each of us keeping to himself waiting for something to happen. Around noon, I went into the library. Johnny. Yes, Isabel? Will you tell me something? Certainly. What? It's a silly question. Terribly silly. I... Oh, I know it's silly. Well? Johnny, did you take the blue water? Why, no, I didn't. Oh, I'm glad. Oh, I shouldn't have asked it, Johnny, but I wanted to hear you say it yourself. Isabel, you're crying. Oh, forgive me for asking. Isabel, what's the matter with you? <laughs> Isabel, do stop crying. I can't help it. I can't help it. Johnny, I love you. Darling. Darling. I wish I knew what to say, darling. Isabel, someday we'll get married, won't we? Yes. 
when I've scraped together a little money and, um, and proved somehow the, that I, I'm worthy. Um, please kiss me, Isabel. Excuse me, could I talk to John alone? I've something rather important to say to him. Yes, of course. Bye, John. Goodbye, darling. What are you being so melodramatic about? Bo's gone. I don't know. He left us a note. By the time you get this, I shall be well on the way to where I'm going. Please tell Aunt there's no further need to badger any of you about the blue water. If Scotland Yard is put on the trail, tell them you knew I contracted large debts at Oxford. I must have been led astray by evil companions. You and John, of course. Keep an eye on John. I bet you both have a yours for can't be true. Of course it isn't true. I can't believe it. Not a bow. Things like an open book. He's taking the blame. But who is he shielding? Perhaps he doesn't know. Look, if Bo didn't do it, then maybe I did it. You didn't, did you? Neither did you. Or Isabel. Oh, of course not. It's ridiculous. Exactly. John, we can't let him do it. It'll break Lady Brandon's heart. You know how she adores him. Well, what do we do? Well, nothing for the moment. I'll say nothing. I'll speak to you later. I've got an idea. That evening, I found a note on my pillow in Digby's writing. Dear John, I can no longer let the innocent suffer for my guilty sin. By the time you get this, I shall be well on my way to where I am going. Will you please tell Aunt that Bo's noble and beautiful gesture was a lot of nonsense and that I'm the real thief? Tell her that by the time she gets this... I placed my room for three hours. Then I started to pack. As the dawn came up, I tiptoed out through the kitchen door. Through the dim morning, I walked to the station and boarded the first train. My darling, beautiful sweetheart, when you read this letter, you will be the first to agree that I cannot possibly do anything except what I am doing. Although it may mean, for a time at least, being away from you, my dearly beloved, just when we have found this miracle, our love, Isabel, dear. Can I speak with the officer in charge, please? Yes, what do you want? Are you the recruiting officer, sir? I am. Could you tell me, sir, if any Englishman... What is this? What happens in England? Does the British Empire suddenly export all our most excellent young men to Paris to enlist in the French Foreign Legion? Then there have been others. Two others this week. Well, where can I catch up with them? Where can I find them? You mean if you are accepted into the Legion? Well, you've got to accept me. What, what do I do? Well, uh, first the physical examination. For that, for you, that will be easy. But uh, you know what you're doing? Of course. Listen to me, young man. In the beginning of volunteer enlist for five years, his pay is one sou a day. The discipline is hard, harder than that of any army in Europe. If a man deserts from a legion, he is shot. Think it over, young man. Think it over. They accepted me. I signed a paper and I was a soldier of France. Name, John Smith, Foreign Legion, 103762. A week later, I was in Iran in Africa. Then on to an inland town, some 20 of us on foot.
We were herded into a long shed-like building. Our heads were shaved, uniforms and kit issued to us. I picked up my things and went to the barrack room to which I'd been assigned. Two men were sitting side by side on a bench, their hands in their pockets, pipes in their mouths. Well, well, enter the third robber. Oh, Digby! How wonderful to see you! I was afraid I mightn't catch up with you. Oh, my poor, dear, idiotic, mad booby. What the devil do you think you're doing here? Fleeing from justice, Bo. What about you? Same thing. You did? Who, me? Well, well, to tell you the truth, I'm fleeing from justice. Did you bring the sapphire with you, John? Uh, no, no, I didn't bring it with me. Careless. Did you bring it, Bo? Yes. You too, Digby? Oh, never travel without my sapphire. I suppose one of us three has got it. Two of us. What are you going to do with it now? Carry it. Start with me. That's your kangaroo custom. I carry about the young and their money and things in a sort of bag, you know, in front. Accessible. I keep it on me night and day. That'll kill the man before you can rob him. There we go. I'm going to line up for inspection. Inspection? I just arrived. Well, that's not too soon for the job. Who? Collar Sergeant Vigeon. Charming man. From now on, your commanding officer. Hey, Frank! Hey, Chris! Steady! Frank! Ah. Oh, a new company of jailbirds, eh? Ah, why couldn't you go to the prison instead of coming here to waste my time? Well, I'll make you wish you hadn't come near the Legion. I'll make you wish you were never born. Let's see what we have here. You. What's your name? Swanson. Say, sir, when you speak to me. Now, how about you? Who are you? Uh, my name's Hank. Uh, Hank Locker. I come from Chillicothe. Uh, Any more silence insolence from you? I'll tie your wrist to your ankles and the small of your back. Okay, sir. Now, what's your name? Smith, sir. Oh, another English boy, eh? Let's see your hands. I thought so. Soft as pancakes. Never done a stroke of work in your life, eh? Well, I'll harden those for you. I'll manicure you before I die. Sir, Silence! I... Open your mouth again and I'll close it with my boot. Now then, you all may look like scum, but before I'm through with you, you'll be soldiers. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I'll make soldiers out of you if I have to kill you. Now, beginning tomorrow, we'll drill and march. You hear me? Drill. And march. Through the following weeks, we marched almost without ceasing, day after day. I can still feel the movement of my bare oil feet and my leather shoes. We wore no stockings in the Legion. Our second month, we marched 500 miles, 30 miles a day with rifles under a heavy pack. Right, sir. Right, sir, Governor. You're a soldier now. Under my command. And under my command, you'll march. Hey, you. Schwartz. Yes, sir. Keep that cap on your greasy head. Sweat, sir. Well, what would you rather do? Sweat or croak? Hey, you. You pray. Hey, where do you think you're going? Fall out of line once more, and you'll carry an extra 20 pounds of sand in your pack. Now, go on. Get back into place. Run. Barbara. Yes, Sergeant. We make camp tonight. See that our friend you pray gets his rest. But first, give him 25 lashes, then let him do sentry duty till midnight. And after that uh, private you pray, you can have your rest. Uh, you pray. I can't. I can't. How many? Halt! Halt! Face! Now, 
staring before you here, you see a gentleman who wanted his rest now. And I'll show you how we wake him up in the Legion. Dupree, get up. Get up. Uh, perhaps a boot in the ribs will. Yep. Sergeant. Yes, Englishman. Well, what is it? My brother and I will carry him if he comes. In the Legion, every man for himself. If he doesn't want to march, he can stay here. Now, don't you worry about your prey. He won't be alone here for long. The vultures will keep him company. All right. Detail. Well, face. All right. Double time. Hurt! You are listening to the Campbell Playhouse presentation of Beau Jest, starring Orson Welles with Lawrence Olivier and Noah Beery. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. In the Legion, there were many conflicting reports as to what particular job we were being trained for. Some said a border demonstration, peaceful penetration by the bayonet. Others talked of a far-flung uprising of all the Arab nations from the Atlantic Ocean to the Persian Gulf. Meantime, we drilled and drilled, marched and marched. Then one day came bad news. We were to be separated. Digby remained as trumpeter with the regiment in Jagadir. Bo and I, with the second company, were detailed to the worst section in the North African service. Fort Zindana, 400 miles away. It was May when we set out, with Rajon, now adjutant, in command. It took us three weeks to reach it. In the file beside me as we marched was the American, Hank. Hey. Hey, son. Yeah? I want to tip you boys off to something. Oh? You being one of them Britishers, well, I figure... Well, you mean okay anyways. Oh, thank you. Just want to tell you, there's a lot of conspiracies around this company. Now that we're getting away from civilization, things may start popping. You don't say? Yeah. Mostly they all have to do with you boys... How do you mean? Well, none of my business, of course. Boys got it figured out. You three brothers are a gang of international thieves. What? Yeah, hold your horses, son. Just telling you what they're saying. Seems they heard you fellas talking about some diamonds you got hidden away. They heard how one of you carries it like a kangaroo in a pouch on his stomach. They mean to get it. Even if they have to knife you for it. And in case you don't know, one of the guys that has his eye on that diamond of yours... Is our new adjutant, Monsieur Lejeune. At Fort Zindanef, we drilled all day in the sun. Lejeune thought of that. As for the night, all we could do was to pretend that they were cooler than the day. The second month, desert fever took us. Cockroach fever, men call it, because it crawls through the brain. Comes over a man suddenly, and he goes stark raving mad with the heat. Already three of the men had had to be put in solitary confinement. And the bed next to my brother slept a German named Schwartz. One night, about two hours after lights out, my brother woke suddenly. There was a hand on his shoulder. Hey. Hey there. Hello, Schwartz. What do you want? Why don't you sleep? I want to talk with you. Are you enjoying life here at Sendermet? Oh, quite, quite. You would like a change? I like change. Would you like perhaps to see again the civilized world? You and your brother and that precious diamond of yours. I know what you're talking about. Tell me. Have you ever seen a pig die? 
No. You will. You feeling ill? Yeah, not funny. Soon you will see a big pig die. A sacred pig. An adjutant pig. So? And are you the butcher, Schwartz? That depends. So many wish the privilege. Would you? Are you with us? Mutiny? No. We kill a swine. I have no experience as a pork butcher. Then, uh, after you conclude that you wish to join the animals that are to be slaughtered, this pig or butcher, you must decide soon. You think about it. Tomorrow we must know. Understand? Yes. Remember, you must decide pig or butcher. It was noon of the next day before my brother could talk to me. He waited for me outside a canteen. Can they hear us here? No, go ahead, Bo. Be quick. Let's figure this out, John. A mutiny here at Sinanov. What would that mean? Suppose they succeeded. They had to escape across several hundred miles of desert. Right. Problems, starvation, thirst, the heat of the desert, and maybe getting killed by Tuareg robbers. And just mutilated. Right. And left to the over-anxious vultures. Here's something else. I keep thinking of what your American friend said about the blue water. What's the main reason Schwartz and his gang want us along? I'll tell you. So that after we've helped them with a the mutiny, they can do away with us in the desert and get this diamond they think we've got. I haven't thought of that. Once more, there are those anxious vultures. Once more. <coughs> now, something else. Suppose that Jean, another diamond lover, is smarter than the mutineers think. Suppose he has his spies. Suppose he knows of this plot. Then what? Then the mutineers play right into his head. Exactly. That's what he's waiting for. He has every one of us shot down, helps himself to the blue water, and gets a medal into the bargain. He leaves us once more to the... We keep on ending up with those unpleasant birds. Yes. Well, what do we do? Nothing. Wait. Just wait. I'll tell Schwartz now that we're not interested, but watch him day and night. Beginning tonight, you and I better take turns sleeping. First you sleep, then I'll sleep, then you sleep, then I'll sleep, you see? For two days and two nights, nothing happened. It was hotter than ever. Every morning as I looked into the men's eyes, I saw the de desert fever rising, burning more brightly. The third night, I couldn't sleep. I lay in bed thinking of our years at Brandon Abbott, thinking of Isabel. I wondered if I'd ever get back to her and England. Fever-ridden men sleep fitfully. I lay awake listening to them. Just before the dawn, I became aware of a man standing at the end of the room. He had me covered with his revolver. Get up. Quick. One sound out of you and I'll shoot. Go on. Get up and come here. All right. March. Ahead of me. Go to my room. Yeah. Now, let's see it. Come on, let's see it. See what? The diamond. Did you hear me? That is no diamond, Lachone. No? I know better than that. I'll tie you out in the desert. You and your brother with your hands in the small of your back. Your mouth's full of salt and sand. Then we'll see if you've got a diamond. Uh, but that'll keep. Right now, there's work to be done. Do you want to live? On the whole, I think so. On the whole, you do, do you? All right, then. Now, listen to me. I know all about this mutiny, as I know everything else done and said and thought in this fort. And I know who's in it. Schwartz, Volader, Moldani, Vogue. And I'm going to attend to it. Now. Tonight. You hear? Well, answer me. I hear you. Well, say so then. Now, you'll go back with me to that barrack room. First, wake up your brother. Get your rifles, yours and his. I'll stand at the door and cover you. You go from bed to bed and take 
every rifle. If any man speaks, don't answer him. If any man moves, shoot him. As a mutineering dog should be shot. You understand? I understand. Like a sound or a false move, you'll be the first that dies. All right. If you want to live, move. In the first glimmer of dawn, I did as he told me. I woke my brother. There were no sentries posted that night, nobody to challenge us. We went from room to room, disarming the men as they slept. We carried their rifles upstairs, stacked them all on the flat roof. And all the time, Lejeune had us covered. All right. Put those rifles down here. There. Now, down in number three, there are eight men there. Get their guns. Bring them up here. That's a lot. And then I have got a little surprise for Mr. Schwartz and his friends when they get up this morning. Yeah? <laughs> huh? What are you waiting for? Go on down. Well, what's the matter with you? Can't you hear what I tell you? Adjutant. What are you staring at? Listen. All right. If that's what you want, I... Shut up, you fool. Listen. Do you hear it? Hear it. You! Get back those rifles. Yes, sir. Quick! Down to the barracks room. Bugler! Bugler! Down the arms! Every man to battle position! Quick! Don't attack! Towards noon, the Arabs retired. They fell back as suddenly as they'd come. The attack was over. But all afternoon, the Arabs kept up a desert fire. Every now and then, a man was hit. Undercover! Haven't you got any sense? Corporal, take that man downstairs. Give him first aid. Be back in five minutes, you hear? Yes, sir. Schwartz! Schwartz! Yes, sir. Come up here. Up on the wall. Yes, sir. Look out there, toward the oasis. Tell me, what do you see? They're climbing the tree, sir. They're shooting down at us from the trees. Exactly, Mr. Schwartz. They are shooting at us from the trees. Now, uh, uh, we don't have to get those Arabs down from those trees, won't we, Mr. Schwartz? Yes, Adjutant. All right, Mr. Schwartz. Now, you climb up to that high lookout platform. And from there, you'll get a good shot at those Arabs. Until they get you. Up! Get up there, I tell you. Go on, I'll shoot you myself. That's it. Go on up. And while you're up there, maybe you can pick up some more plot. Go on. Get up there. for the Republic, eh? <laughs> and one mutineer less. Now then, mutineer number two. Bolliter! Yes, sir. Ah, you're next. Yes, yes, sir. Get up on that platform, Mr. Bolliter. 
Go on. Sam! Out of 98 that morning, there were 46 of it left. That was the first day. The nearest relief post was Jagadir. It would be three days before help could come from there. In the morning, the Arabs would attack again. They knew our real numbers. They'd scale the walls and cut us to pieces in a minute. That night, once more, Lejeune put us to work. Here. Come up here. Help me with this. Yes, sir. I don't trust those others. Uh, pick him up with the shoulders and the legs. But he's dead, sir. Sure. They get heavy when they're stiff, don't they, eh? <laughs> uh, come on. Up the stairs with him. Sir. Onto the parapet. What are you going to do? How do you think? Put them to work, you idiot. No good when they're alive. Perhaps now that they're dead, they'll be of some use. <laughs> yeah. There uh, Pop him up against the wall. Push him against the parapet. That's it. That's it. Straight up. Eyes, friend. Put his cap on his head. Now, give him a rifle. That's right. Sight it. Oh! <laughs> well, friend Schwartz, now you look quite a useful soldier for a change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, come on, you two. Let's get another one. Yes, sir. Uh, bring him up here. Fill the next embrasure with him. Rifle in his hand. Cap on his head. Yes, sir. Uh, Thirty-eight of them. One in each embrasure. Ah, and tomorrow when the Arabs attack, they'll think we've got a real garrison here. <laughs> it worked. The next morning, the Arabs attacked again, but they kept their distance. All day, their fire poured into the fort, and inside, a handful of desperate men ran from parapet to parapet, shooting over the dead men's shoulders. Whenever a man fell, the Joan would pick him up and put him back in his place on the parapet. He seemed to take a ghoulish delight in arranging them and sighting their rifles and putting their caps on the straight. Once or twice, he lit cigarettes for the dead men. Cigarettes gradually burned till they were spent in the dead men's mouths. But it worked. At the end of the day, they withdrew beyond the sand hills. And now, my merry friends, before we go to sleep, we're going to have a little celebration. <laughs> Just the few of us. We'll celebrate what a good time we're having. <laughs> we let the Arabs hear us. We'll let them see how little we need to worry. How gay we are. Ah, we're going to laugh. Laugh, I tell you. <laughs> Ali, you hear me? Laugh. <laughs> ah, that's it. Well, come on, you. Now from left to right. Laugh. In the middle of the silent quadrangle of dead men standing guard, we celebrated for hours until we lay back exhausted on the stone roof of the fort. Late that night, Bo dragged himself near me. Got a cigarette, John? Just two, here. 
Looks like the last lap, Johnny. Last cigarette. Uh, nothing. The leaf is halfway here by now. I hope so. John, if I die and you don't, why don't you do something for me? Of course, Bo. There are two letters in my pocket and a small package and a money belt around my waist. One letter's a sort of public letter, the other's, other's for Lady Brandon. Packages for her, too, only the package isn't really important. The letter is important, though. Whatever you do, swear you'll give her that letter. Bo, don't talk like that. You're not going to die. Maybe I'll die. Maybe we'll both die. Maybe neither of us will. Don't know, John. I just feel it in my bones. Johnny, will you swear? Of course I will. Good. Well, goodbye, dear old Johnny. Wish to heaven I had dragged you into this, but I think you'll come out all right. Give my love to Dig, will you? Here's a bill. I hope someday you two will be very happy. In the morning, the, fight had started, the fighting started again. The same tactics again, running along the wall, shooting dead men's guns. By noon, there were only seven of us left. Two hours later, there were only four. Each took one more. We ran like men possessed, shooting, running, shooting, running. We never looked at each other. It was late in the afternoon when I saw the bow had fallen. He lay there under the north wall, motionless. And I couldn't get to him. After that, I can remember nothing until it was night. Then suddenly my brain cleared, and I saw Lejeune bending over Bo's body, fumbling at his belt. Get away from there, Lejeune! <laughs> oh, no diamond, eh? <laughs> no diamond! Leave my brother's body alone! Give me that, you! Give me that packet! Stand back. Stand back, you English swine! Give them to me, Lejeune! I'll move, and I'll shoot! Give me those letters in that package! I said get it! shot went wild, but my bayonet went straight through his heart. He fell dead on his back. I sank down on the stone, and for the first time I realized that Bo was not yet dead. It was because of him that Lejeune's shot went wild. He had reached out and seized Lejeune's foot, jerking him off balance as he pulled the trigger. Stop, fellow, John. Got the letters? You'll deliver them yourself, Bo. No. We two are the only survivors. The relief will be here soon. Listen, Johnny. I'm for it, all right, I'm... Bled White. Listen. I never stole anything in my life. Tell the guy I said so. Johnny, do get a letter home. Oh, wait. Look, I, I, I'll get them back. No, 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 Johnny, now listen. Those letters, one's a confession. No need for you and Dick to carry on with the game now, and you must get the confession published. You've got nothing to confess, though. Don't be an ass, Johnny. It's the living we have to think about. Leave the confession where it'll be found. I'll haunt you. I'll gnaw your neck and go boo in the dark. No, don't go. Here, Johnny. Come. Johnny. I'm going blind. John. John, where are you? Promise. Confession. John. John, wake up. Listen. You've got to listen. <sighs> wake up. Try hard. Where am I? Where's Bo? This is Digby. Digby, you hear? You're in the fort at Bindenerf. Bo's dead. <sighs> and you've killed the Jones. Good thing, too. But the Legion won't look at it that way. <sighs> We've got to escape quickly. 
Digby, how did you get here? Police called them from, from Jagadir. We heard there'd be an attack. We came up to the walls and saw the dead men looking out. They wanted the man to go into the fort alone. I volunteered. They're outside there now. If I don't get the call within 15 minutes, they'll charge. We've only got five minutes left. Where's Bo? Where's Bo? On his dead downstairs. Come, John. There's something we've got to do. You know what he'd have wanted. A Viking's funeral. <laughs> That's right. We promised that day. At Brandon Abbott. Now, quick, help me. I piled wood around him and sprinkled oil on the wood and all over the barracks. It's all ready. There's just one more detail. Get up, John, quick. What are you doing? Remember, a Viking's funeral needs a dog. Don't you remember? A dog at the feet of the captain. Well, there's a dog. The Jeune. Sig! Have you gone mad, too? Harry, we haven't time to lose. Help me. He wanted a full Viking's funeral. He'll get it. We dragged the body of Lejeune down the stairs to the barrack room and laid it at both feet. Digby knelt down and struck a match. As he threw the match toward the bed, we raced back up the stairs. A moment later, the flames leaped high into the air. As we left the burning fort, we heard the cavalry coming up behind us. In the confusion of the fire, we escaped, heading west towards the coast. Five weeks later, I saw the sea. Digby was dead, shot by a stray bullet from a marauding Arab. Almost a year went by before I reached England. I fulfilled my promise to Bo. The public letter was a sort of confession, saying that he alone had stolen the blue water sapphire. That was nonsense, of course. His lie had long outlived its purpose. The other notes, the one to Lady Brandon, she read aloud to us, to Isabel and me. As she read, I seemed to hear the voice of Bo himself. Bo smiling and talking to us across all those miles from that land of the dead, from Zindanaas. Dear Auntie, when you get this, I shall be dead. You've read it through. Perhaps you'll forgive me for doing what I thought was best. You see, I thought I was doing something that might in some measure repay you for your great goodness to me and my brothers. My dear Aunt... I knew you'd sold the blue water to the Maharaja in order to keep the estate going for our sake and for the sake of the tenants. I also knew you were frightened that the sale would become known, for technically you had no right to sell the jewel which was left you in trust. I knew you'd had a duplicate made, and I kept thinking how splendid it would be if we had a jewel robbery and the blue water substitute was stolen. You could put Scotland Yard on the trail as a burglar, and as long as you didn't catch him and recover the sapphire, everything would be splendid. And everything would have turned out fine, too, if those incredible brothers of mine hadn't gone and bolted through possibilities that never occurred to me. Well, I hope my idea did work in part, anyway, and that your secret has been kept. How can we ever repay all that you did for us? My love to you and to the others, too. And all the happiness in the world to John and Isabel, your nephew. Go, 
sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us in the Campbell Playhouse. Remain as always, obediently yours. Thank you.